Good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. I want you to turn to John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to talk about a lesson this morning entitled, Jesus Sets Us Free. But before we take a look at John, the fourth chapter, I want to remind you of what Paul said in Galatians chapter five and verse one. It was in Galatians five where Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. We've got to under, we've got to come to understand what that means that Christ has set us free. In Galatians, Paul is talking about the fact that we've been set free from the law, trying to be justified by keeping the law. And Paul says in Galatians 2 that by the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified. But beyond that, Jesus also sets us free from the price of our sin. Jesus paid that price for us on the cross. But we've also got to understand Jesus sets us free from the guilt and the shame of our past so that we can move forward. John, the fourth chapter, helps us to come to understand that concept. There's three points that we want to give consideration to this morning. First of all, don't get stuck in the past. Follow Jesus forward. And then don't let the past control your future. And I think all three of those points can be made in John, the fourth chapter, as there's this discussion that Jesus has with this woman at the well. When you know that you have been forgiven and what the blessings are that you have in Jesus Christ, it's then that you can really move forward. It's then that you can grow and mature as a Christian as God intends for us to do. So the first point is, do not get stuck in the past. Now I want to give you this quick illustration to show how that sometimes we can get stuck in the past. Now this is kind of a physical illustration, but we'll make the spiritual application in just a moment. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and it seems like the decorating is kind of dated? <laughs> well, I'll use our own house as an illustration. In our house, and this may cause my wife to kind of cringe a little bit, in our house, we have almond countertops. <laughs> now, about 30 years ago, when my wife and I built this house, almond countertops were the in thing. But that was 30 years ago. And so now granite countertops are the end thing. And so if somebody walks into our house, they might kind of think, boy, you're kind of stuck in the past. Well, let me tell you another way in which we sometimes get kind of stuck in the past. Have you ever heard of bell-bottom pants? <laughs> or wide belts or wide ties? You ever seen somebody wear that kind of thing? You think, boy, they must be stuck in the past. Or have you ever seen somebody that has the same hairstyle and they've had it for 30 years? And you think, boy, that's kind of stuck in the past. And we look at those kinds of things, whether it's decorating or whether it's clothes or whether it's hairstyles. And we want to kind of be up to date, but sometimes we can kind of get stuck in the past. We look at those things and we think that that's kind of funny. Well, it is when it's in the physical realm. But it's not so funny when it's in the spiritual realm. And the same Thing can happen. People can get stuck in the past. I want us to take a look at John the fourth chapter, beginning at verse one. 
It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Verse 4 says he had to pass through Samaria. Some translations say that he needed to go through Samaria. And that's not just a geographical requirement in order for him to travel from one place to another. Because sometimes the Jews would go further to the east and they would cross the Jordan and they would go up and around Samaria. But John records for us in John chapter 4 and verse 4 that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He's in the south. The Pharisees have heard that he is making and baptizing more disciples than John. That's a threat to them. Jesus knows this. And he doesn't want to have that confrontation right now at this moment. So he's going to go north to Galilee. And he says that he has to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now we're starting to get to the point where John chapter 4 says that he had to go through Samaria. The reason why he had to go through Samaria is because Jesus knew that he was going to encounter this woman. And this woman, as we'll come to see in just a moment, this woman is stuck. She is stuck in her past. And Jesus is going to show her how she can move forward. Now, it says that this woman came out to draw water at about the sixth hour of the day. The normal time for going to get water would be either early in the morning or late in the evening. Early in the morning, you would get that water that you're going to use throughout the day. At the end of the day, in the evening, you come and get that water that you might need that night. But those were the usual times. But this woman has come out to draw water at the sixth hour. This is the middle of the day. You know, one writer has said that this going to get water at this day and time, this was kind of a social event. That there would be various ones that would come at certain times of the day, morning and evening, to get water. Oftentimes it would be women. And he suggests this is kind of when community is taking place. In other words, they come out and they get water and they talk to one another. How are you doing? How's your family doing? How's so-and-so doing? And you kind of get the latest updates and the latest news and how things are going. And that's all good to talk to other people and to talk about what's going on and you might benefit from that. You might enjoy that unless... Unless you're the one that's being talked about. Maybe it's your life that they're talking about. Maybe it's your associations. Maybe it's your failures. Maybe it's your past that everybody wants to discuss. 
And so see, now we come to realize that her past is starting to control her. She doesn't come there in the morning. She doesn't come there in the evening. She comes in the middle of the day. Because if she comes in the middle of the day, then no, then maybe no one is there. And so her past is controlling her present. And if she doesn't deal with it, it'll control her future also. Because she's stuck. Do you remember on one occasion that Jesus was talking to some individuals about an animal that was in a ditch? And the discussion is, would you have compassion on an animal? Would you have enough care to get them out of a ditch? And Jesus is drawing the comparison, wouldn't you do the same thing for a person? And that's what Jesus is doing here. Here's a woman that is stuck. And Jesus is going to show her how to move forward. John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this woman says, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? So she recognizes that Jesus is a Jew, but there's something else that she does not recognize. And the thing that she doesn't recognize This is not just any Jew. This is God. And she says, so how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink of water? And so there's sort of a racial aspect. There's a gender aspect that is going on here also. How is it that you And you're a man, ask me, a Samaritan, a woman for a drink, because the Jews don't have any association with the Samaritans. And this goes back hundreds of years. This goes clear back to the time when the nation was divided. This goes back to the time when Israel, those northern tribes, were carried away by Assyria. And the practice in that day and time that when Assyria would conquer another people, they would carry away the best and the brightest and they would leave the poorest and the uneducated in the land and then they would bring in other people to mix with them. And that's who the Samaritans now are. And she's making reference to the Jews. And what she's making reference to is those two tribes to the south that had been carried away into Babylonian captivity, but after the captivity they had come back and they had rebuilt the altar and they had rebuilt the temple and they would rebuilt the city and the walls. See, they were the ones that considered themselves to be the true people of God. And so now she's saying, how is it that you, a Jew, even asked me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? Jesus knew all this. 
And he knew all of this was sort of a contributing factor to the reason why she was stuck. But that's not the only reason why she's stuck. She's stuck because of her own life also. This is why Jesus had to go to Samaria. Verse 10 and 11. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? She questions him. Why would you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said, if you really knew who it was that was asking you, and if you knew the gift of God, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Now I want to pause right there for just a moment. Because I think there's a little play on words going on here also. And so I want to tell you something about water and about sources of water. This woman has come out and she has come to this well. And Jesus says, if you were to ask me, I would give you living water. In other words, you've come out here to get water and I'm ready to offer you something better than what you've came for. I'm ready to give you living water. Now here's where I think the play of words goes on. See, because whenever you come to a well, water that has stood in a well for a while, it can become a little stale. It can become even become stagnant. But down underneath that well, underground there's a stream. And that's what supplies that well. But in order to get to that stream, in order to get to that water that is sometimes referred to as living water because it is moving, you got to go deep. When I was a kid, we lived on a farm. And we didn't have running water in our house, that first house that we lived in. In order to have water, you had to go out the back door, down across the yard, and over this little hill, and there was a well down there, and it had a pump, and you had to pump that wa- uh, pump in order to get that water out of there. And whenever you start pumping, you didn't take the first water. You pumped it for a while so that you could get to fresh water. And way down underneath that well, there was an underground stream. Do you know if you go to a stream that runs freely and it runs over rock and so forth and after it goes so far, it becomes purified. And water that is moving instead of standing is sometimes referred to as living water. Sometimes you can have a spring and water just bubbles up out of the ground because that stream is just coming to the surface. And that's 
living water. But if it's a well, in order to get to the living water, you got to go deep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm offering you something better than just what you came for. Verse 11. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who put it, who gave us the well, and drank of him and himself, and his sons and his cattle also? So now Jesus is going to start to make his point. And the thing that Jesus is trying to lead her to, he's really not talking about physical water. What I've done is I've come here to give you something that will satisfy your thirst. Not just the thirst that you have physically, but the thirst that you have in your life. But see, Jesus is bringing her to that point. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of John, the third chapter. Do you remember when Nicodemus came out to Jesus by night? And he said, Rabbi, we know that God must be with you because of the things you do, because no man could do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds to him and he says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is kind of like, what? And Jesus is saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus is saying, I I just told you, you do some amazing things and we believe that God must be with you based on the things you do. And Jesus doesn't respond and say, well, yeah, yeah, I do some amazing things. Jesus responds and says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused and he's like, how can a man be born again? This conversation that I started is all of a sudden just taking a sharp turn and I'm not quite sure where it's going. That's the same thing that's taking place here in John the 4th chapter. This woman has come out to get water and Jesus said, I'm going to give you living water. I'm going to give you something better than what you came for. You know, essentially what Jesus is saying to her. You can drink this water and you're thirst again. And you can drink this water and you can drink this water till you almost drowned in this water. And it won't satisfy the thirst that you really have in your life. And that's the point Jesus is trying to lead her to. John 4 and verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Now Jesus has got her curiosity up. 
I came here to get water and you're telling me that you will give me water that I will never thirst again? And I won't have to come here to draw water anymore? And that the water that you're going to give me is living water and it will become a well in me and it will spring up to eternal life? She said, sir, give me this water. That sounds good. Now I want to stop again right there. Because we need to make a point. Do you know there are a lot of people that get to this point right here where this woman is now? She's talking to Jesus and he offers something that she thinks sounds good and she says, give me that I want that. Do you know there are a lot of people that come to that point? Do you know there are a lot of religious teachers that will bring people to that point? But the problem is, they leave them right there at that point. Sometimes you talk to someone about Jesus or some religious teacher may talk to a person about Jesus and then they get to the point where that that sounds good. I want Jesus. And you know what they do? They go, well, then you just need to accept Jesus and you need to pray this prayer and then you've got Jesus. And they just leave it right there. You know what that's like? Spiritually, what that's like is that you come to the well. You come to the source. It sounds good. You decide you want it. But you never get to drink. So Jesus is not going to leave her at that point. He's going to show her how she gets to drink and how she can get unstuck and how she can move forward. So the next step is we have to follow Jesus forward. Verse 16 and 17. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. She believes that what Jesus is offering sounds good. And so she just says to him, Well, just give it to me. And Jesus says, Go call your husband and then come here. Because if you want what I'm offering, this is what you need to do. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you want what Jesus offers? Then here's the next step. 
Do you want the freedom that Jesus offers? Do you want the relationship that Jesus offers? Do you want the blessings that Jesus offers? Then here's the next step. Then Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Go call your husband and come here. We're going to deal with, I'm going to show you what the next thing is that you need to do if you want this water that I'm offering. And how does she respond? She goes, I don't have a husband. And this is where it starts to come out. That this is not just any Jew that she's talking to. So Jesus responds and he says to her, you've answered correctly because you've had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. Verse 18, you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. You're right. I know you don't have a husband. Because you've had five and the one that you have now is not your husband. See, but this also tells us something else. This now confirms and tells us why she comes in the middle of the day. But this also raises a question. How long has she been trying to satisfy a thirst that she has in her soul by going through all of these relationships? And even though she's gone through all these relationships, that thirst is still there. And you know why it's there? I don't know when it started or how it started. But there's a voice that plays inside her head. You know what that voice says? That voice has been telling her, you're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't really be loved until you measure up. And when we feel that way, that creates a thirst. That makes a hole in our soul that we try to fill. Sometimes people try to fill it. They try to satisfy it by keeping the law. I'll just do it perfectly. But we become frustrated. Because the law just ends up showing us our need, our shortcomings. And so sometimes people try to satisfy that thirst or fill that hole in their soul and the emptiness that they feel. And they try to do that, satisfy that through relationships. I deserve to be loved and I'll show you. See all these people who love me? 
And even though she's had all these relationships, she's still got a thirst. Sometimes people try to satisfy that thirst, that fill that hole through accomplishments. Have you seen the degrees I have? Have you seen the awards that I've won? But deep down inside, they still feel unworthy. And sometimes people can get a little desperate. And they try to satisfy that thirst and fill that hole with alcohol. Or maybe with drugs. And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that's what happens. And sometimes that temporary high can kind of feel good for a little while. I know. But you know what happens afterwards? You don't feel better about yourself. You feel worse. And so what Jesus is doing when he says, go call your husband, he knows she's stuck. And he wants her to know that he knows she's stuck. But what he wants her to do is to agree with him that she's stuck. I want to fast forward for just a moment. And I want to talk to you about Galatians, the fifth chapter and verse 22. In Galatians, the fifth chapter and verse 22, Paul talks about the fruit of of the Spirit. You see in Galatians 5 and verse 1, he says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And then in Galatians 5 and verse 22, he starts to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the fruit that the Spirit can produce in our lives. The changes that can be brought about because of the Spirit, what the Spirit has done in our lives. And you want to know know what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very first thing. When I come to understand how much Jesus Christ loves me and what He gave for me, unconditionally, when I understand how much I'm loved, then I'm free to love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that's something that is on the inside. It's not based upon external things and what's on the outside. And when I come to understand how much Christ loves me, I have that inside. And the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And when I come to understand how patient God has been with me, I can be patient with others. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and when I come to understand how kind He has been with me, I can be kind to others. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness, and when I understand how good He is and how good He's been to me, I can show goodness. fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness that I know that He was faithful to me even when I was unfaithful. But because I know the faithfulness 
of him, I now want to be faithful. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. When I see how gentle he has been with me, I can be gentle with others. And the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And what I come to realize is I can have control over self and over my life when I'm willing to surrender to Him. Now verse 19. The woman said to Him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Two things there. Now, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. God must be with you for you to know all these things about me. But then she says, and this is oftentimes what we do, before we're really totally ready to surrender to Jesus Christ, oftentimes this is what people do. You know what? Maybe I could get unstuck. Maybe I, my life could get a little better. Maybe I'd feel a little better about myself if I just had a little religion in my life. So she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But you know what? Our fathers worship in this mountain. And you Jews, you worship down in Jerusalem. You know what that's saying? Well, you know there's a church down in Jerusalem and there's a church up here in Mount Gerizim. You go to that church and I go to this church. It's just another church, isn't it? It's all the same, right? So I get a little religion in my life. And what Jesus wants her to know is just having religion is not the same as having a relationship. You know what I tell people sometimes now, and I'm not saying this to try to be sarcastic or to try to be unkind or anything like that, because people go looking for churches. They do. I've done it in the past before I come to understand. And sometimes people are just looking for a church and they're going to pick it out based upon what they want. And so sometimes I say to people, if you're just looking for a church, we may not be the one. But if you're looking for the Lord, welcome home. that's what we're after and that's what we have to offer the Lord wants her to know 
it's more than just religion. It's a commitment. Verse 21 and 22. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. He's telling her it makes a difference. And you're going to worship God? Salvation is of the Jews. God has revealed the way to have salvation. God has revealed how He is to be served. God has revealed how He is to be worshipped. Verse 23 and 24. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to worship, be His worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know what Jesus is doing now? He's getting to that living water. And now He's extending it to her. If you want this living water, this is the way it is. Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Yeah, sometimes we talk about the fact that our worship is spiritual and it is in truth. That there are certain things that we ought to do in our worship that God has revealed that and He has revealed how we can come into a relationship with Him. But it runs deeper than just going through those acts that He has revealed. It requires a commitment. It is spiritual. And it is a relationship. And you do those things that God desires based upon that relationship that you have with Him. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am am he. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. You've been waiting for You've been looking for. You've been wondering. I just told you all about your life. I just told you about your past. I just told you about your present. You have acknowledged that I am a prophet, but I am more than just a prophet. I am the Messiah. Notice verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, What? She left her water pot, she went into the city, and she said to the men, 
Come see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? You know what that's like? That's like a rhetorical question. She goes into the city and she says to the men, I have met a man and he told me all things that I have ever done. Is this the Christ? It must be the Christ. Verse 39 through 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them and he stayed two more days. Many more believed because of his word. Watch verse 42. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. She comes back into town and gives her testimony. And they go out to see him. He spends two more days. Many more of them couldn't believe. And they say, now... We don't believe just because of of what you told us. We know it for ourselves. He's the Savior of the world. That's an amazing story. First of all, she comes and it's the middle of the day and she wants to go when nobody's around. She asked Jesus, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, I'll give you living water. And then she says, give me that water. And then he says, first, go, to, go get your husband. And she comes to understand that he knows all things about her. And about her past. And about her present. And then she goes into the city. See, we don't know all of the details, but we know enough that we can draw conclusions. See, now she's free. At first, she didn't want to be around anybody. And now she's going into the village and she's telling everybody. See, there's something that we kind of come to understand from this story. And one of the things that we got to come to understand from this story is that in Christ, our accomplishments don't distinguish us. It's not something that we have to accomplish before He will love us. In Jesus Christ, our accomplishments don't distinguish us. But there's something else. In Christ, our failures don't define us. That doesn't keep Him from loving us. And knowing that kind of love, it'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. She tells her story because she's tasted that water. And that water has become a well in her. 
springing up to eternal life. Before she was thirsty. And now she's giving others to drink. So what do we learn from this story? Well, don't let the past control your future. Because Jesus shows us how to move forward. And how to get beyond our past. You know, this story is told over and over and over again in the scriptures. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament and what his brothers did to him? They sold him into bondage. And then sometime later, guess what? Because of a famine, they had to go down to Egypt. And guess who they run into? And guess who is now in a position of authority? And before they can move forward, they're going to have to deal with their past. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba? And how he committed adultery with her? And how he lied and even committed murder in order to try to cover it up. And then God sends Nathan to him and says, Thou art the man. David, before you can move forward, you got to deal with your past. You remember Peter? How on the night when Jesus was betrayed, they ask him, do you know him? And three times he denied his Lord. But then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to him on the shores of Galilee and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know all things, Lord, that I love you. Before Peter could move forward, he had to deal with his past. And it's the same thing with us. In Psalms 32 and verse 5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Jesus had to talk to this woman because she was stuck. And he had to get her Beyond her past. There was a study that was done by a group of religious writers, researchers. And they said that people that are successful in dealing with their past and dealing with guilt and dealing with shame, they said, they have to have what they call a spiritual experience of radical acceptance. They noticed in their surveys, people who were successful in dealing with their past and dealing with guilt and with shame and who were really, truly able to make a change in their life 
They said they have a spiritual experience of radical acceptance. You want me to tell you what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that forgiveness. You know what Jesus calls that? He calls that being born again. Let me tell you how that works. In John the 8th chapter and verse 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That's the first step. Accepting Jesus. Believing who He is. But you don't leave it there. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus said, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's dealing with your life. Repentance is turning away from our old life and from self and turning to Jesus to follow Him, to follow Him forward. Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10, Paul says, With the heart... Man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We believe it. Sir, I believe that you are a prophet. But it's more, Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But there's more. The water runs deeper. In Galatians 3 and verse 27, Paul says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit produces in you. You put on Christ. But Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 that in baptism, we are forgiven of our sins. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old man has been put away. And we're new. And we're forgiven. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says we are accepted. We are accepted. In the beloved. That's a spiritual experience of radical acceptance. That's what the Bible calls being born again. That's what Jesus was offering this woman. Living water. That will become a well within you springing up to eternal life. We want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. Are you ready to accept Jesus? Are you ready to follow Him? He can show you how to be forgiven, how to move past your past, and don't let your past control your future. If you're subject to an invitation, and if we can help you this morning, You let us know while together we stand and while we sing.